Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe. And man, this month on our podcast, I am so pumped and excited to have uh, my good friend and distinguished guest, J.P. Nervin. J.P., what's going on today? What's going on, Donnie? This is awesome. Great to be with you, man. Hey, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about J.P., uh, Coach Joe Krawczyk is not here today, so he will not be on the show. Just want to let our listeners know. But a little bit about JP. JP is currently living in Dublin, Ireland, correct, JP? Yep. How are things in Ireland right now before we get into your bio? How's things over there these days? A little colder and rainier than probably in Texas. We'll just start with that. <laughs> oh, good stuff, Coach. Well, again, just a little history. Uh, I found, I guess you could say, I found and then eventually met JP through reading his book, which we're going to dive into all things teen culture and leadership today. The book is called The Culture System. I absolutely recommend you get off this podcast and go get it right now. It is incredible. It's probably one of the most practical and just extensive and simple systems of how to build a culture uh, within a team or sport environment. So he's the best-selling author of that book. He's written another book. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Leadership Coach. Uh, he is the founder of the TLT Culture Consulting. He's a leading global sports consulting and leadership coaching business uh, guy. And he's, his mission, I love this, his mission is to support leaders and their teams in achieving their full potential through one-on-one coaching, consulting, and community engagement. So that's kind of what he's doing right now. JP, uh, if you look at his background, he has an extensive background in various fields from uh, obviously sports. He's been a basketball coach before and led camps and clinics and Dealt with parents, which we'll talk about that in a minute, probably. Uh, education, healthcare, and business. So he's got a, a wide range of experience in dealing with leadership and coaching people through these different uh, situations. Um, again, published his recent book. The one, his first book was Calling Up, uh, Discovering Your Journey to Transformational Leadership. Received critical acclaim in 22. Again, he wrote the book we just talked about. He's got a new book coming out, which we're going to try to pull some of that from him in a second. And again, he lives in Ireland. He's married with three healthy, awesome children. JP, that's a little bit about you. So glad you're here. Hey, I'm excited for the opportunity. I'm ready to get into it. Well, hey, I just thought uh, one one thing I was we were talking about before we hopped on, obviously, uh, I've been coaching now 29 years. And in your book, you talk about transformational leadership. And so just one topic I thought we could kind of break the ice with is I heard this one person say something about one of our recent athletes that had graduated um, and her name um, was Logan Eggleston. She's playing pro, plays for the now. She's an incredible person and leader. Um, somebody just randomly said she's a transformational player and leader. What does that mean? Kind of unpack that for us. Maybe some of your book and your thoughts on that. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, there's transformational and there's transactional. And I don't think anyone is just purely one or the other. 
I think it's about kind of how we operate in the world. The transactional leader is looking to get, they're looking to prove themselves. They oftentimes view leadership as a, uh, as a reward. They want it to be easy. Um, it's really about them, right? And, and everything is, they're at the center of the world. They're at the center of their team. And oftentimes they will view other people, not as people, but they'll view them as vehicles to help them be successful. Obstacles when they're not working or not helping them, you know, to, to their success. Or they're irrelevant, you know, they're, they, they, they're the leader, the coach, you know, that ignores the janitor, doesn't see them, doesn't see the other people out there that maybe necessarily don't have as much power or influence as they do. Uh, but when you look at transformational leaders, they're looking to give, not to get. They want to, a coach might be looking to give his players an opportunity to grow, you know, giving them a great experience, something to remember. An athlete might be looking to give their team, they're not just worried about them, you know, getting getting that that scholarship or getting that pro contract or you know getting that award it's about what can they give their team so they show up in that with that mindset they see people's people they see people their needs their objectives their challenges as legitimate as their own they don't see themselves as above their people they see response leadership as a responsibility not necessarily a reward and so the way that they operate in the world is not just what they say is important or the person they want to be or the teammate they want to be or the leader they want to be. Because we've got a lot of people that say they want to be a great teammate. We got Most coaches out there say they want to make an impact in kids' lives. But how do we show up? So if we say we value hard work and discipline and self-control, do we demonstrate that? So do our behaviors match up with that? And then even under below the behaviors is how we measure ourselves at the end of the day. Are we measuring ourselves by the results? Are we measuring ourselves by our impact and how we're influencing and, and impacting other people? And comes down to our mindset. Do we see people as people, right? Do we operate in that space or do we see ourselves as above others? Do we, you know, like that, that, that kind of uh, what I call an inward mindset? I love that what you said, that transactional uh, versus transformational. The piece I think you reminded me, it was years ago. It's probably been 15 years, JP. I was talking to one of our head coaches at Texas, and we were talking about different players and how how they're impacting our culture on our team. And we'd had a really successful run, and then all of a sudden we were hitting this wall, and weren't, we weren't having the success. We weren't winning as much. And I'll never forget he said this, JP. He said exactly what you said in a little different way. He said, when it comes to recruiting players, what I, he said, I think I boiled it down to two things or one thing. But there's two things, two parts of this one thing on recruiting is that you've got athletes you bring into Texas that want to take more than they give. He goes, those athletes, they're hard to manage. They kind of impact your culture negatively. And you'll still win. They may be talented and really good. But, man, it is you pay a price for that. But if you bring in athletes that are talented and they want to give more than they take, that's an athlete that I want to bring here to be successful. And I thought that was so profound. Again, you just nailed it on the head. So, Yeah. And I think as a transformational leader, we're trying to have an impact. An impact on, I would say two things, is we're trying to help others to make that shift so that they become more transformational, more selfless, right? So we, we're growing the character, improving the mindset of our athletes around us. So that's a, that's a responsibility on us, you know, is, is to not just accept athletes as they are when they come to us, but, you know, accept them, 
recognize where they're at and then help them to grow. And, and that's a, that's a that's a responsibility of a transformational coach, as well as grow yourself. At the end of the day, none of us are perfect. You know, we all have these values. We have this person that we desire to be, and then we have the person that we are. You know, and for me, sometimes it is the grumpy dad, and some days it's the happy dad that's you know loves his kids and is kind and patient, and other days it's not. And for me, as a coach, I, I was really caught up in the in, in talking about the type of coach that I've kind of maybe wanted to be or the my values or what I what I set up kind of envisioned, you know, I wanted to teach my players, but I didn't always put the work in to actually bring about that change within myself. And there came that moment in 2016 when I recognized, man, all these things, you know, like that I'm talking about, you know, this pyramid of success from John Wooden, I hand out to my players, like a lot of these things like self-control, like I'm probably the worst example of that around here. So, you know, transformational leaders are are first and foremost concerned with you know growing themselves, and then then they're focusing on the transformation of the people that they're around. That's a, that's a great point. I, I've, I've always, I think it's always been pretty interesting being in. I mean, I'm obviously in performance, strength and conditioning, and performance, but you see a lot of different, like you said, different styles of head coaches and assistant coaches, how they lead, you know, the way they manage their team themselves, their staff. I've always found it interesting that um, a lot of coaches and uh, sad to say, high level administrators oftentimes are so busy doing their job. They don't, they stop working on themselves. And I think, I think it's, uh, I forget the guy's name. Uh, I think it's Marshall Smith. I can't remember his name. He's got a book. The title of the book is something like what got you here won't get you there. Something like that. But it's to your same principle of like, Oftentimes you work your tail off to get to this high level or this position of leadership, but then you stop working on yourself to continue to grow, to actually be the leader that's carrying more weight now. And so that is, that's so powerful and, and profound. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's, that's, it, it comes down to taking care of ourselves so that we can show up the best version of ourselves and then also investing in ourselves so that we can grow our capacity and our character and our skills. Good stuff. Um, how would you take, so take that same topic, now go into a team culture setting. How does a, we're talking about specifically like a player, an athlete, how does their leadership impact um, positively or negatively the culture of that team? Obviously, the head coach has a big influence. We'll get to that in a minute on how a coach kind of sets the tone. But how does an athlete, if you're talking to some of our listeners, how does that leadership of that individual impact the team culture? Yeah, I, I think there's three ways that anybody in an organization, whether it's an athlete, an assistant coach, you know, whatever, if you're not like the main CEO, the head honcho, right? I would really try to look at three areas. One is building relationships. What are you doing to reach out, connect, get to know other people, right? Not just, you know, outside of your sport. Uh, I would really try to spend time investing and in getting to know those people. Um, that would be a huge component of it. Can you build relationships and connections uh, with everyone in, in that team or organization, whether you like them or not, or you have a lot of respect for them or not, you have a responsibility to kind of try to build build relationships. The second big thing is, is to, to be an example, right? So especially if you're in a culture that's struggling or even if it's a culture that's not, I mean, re reality is like, Everyone says they want to be a good team teammate until being a good teammate is really hard. 
until other people aren't a good teammate or the coach isn't really negative or whatever. We always find these excuses. The reality is, can you hold yourself to the highest standard of anybody in that organization? Hold yourself to that highest standard. Do your behaviors match your beliefs? If you believe in being a good teammate, you believe in hard work, you be, believe in being selfless, you believe in you know all those types of things, do your behaviors match up with that? That would be a big component of as, as well. And lastly is you got to try to create feedback loops. And so the easiest way to start giving people feedback in, in your organization, whether it's the teammates or your, even your head coach, is to first off, ask for feedback. Genuinely go in there learning. Hey, what are you noticing? What do you see about me? What can I improve at? How can I be a better teammate? How can I be a better player? How, what can I do? Constantly, not just, not just being coachable and accepting feedback when you get it, but going and asking for it. What do I need to do to grow as a leader? How can I have a better impact on this team here? Just asking those questions. And the second part of that feedback loop is to give it. That takes a lot of courage to do that. And I would say that one of the easiest ways or the best ways, not necessarily easy, got to have a lot of courage, but one of the best ways to give going and give that feedback is to go in giving feedback with the mindset, I'm here to learn. So when you sit down with an individual and you say, and you give them feedback, hey, coach, you know, one thing I'm seeing in this, or you give a teammate feedback, hey, I'm seeing it here in the practice, you don't, you haven't been working hard, you haven't running hard, or you've been talking back a lot, or you've been leaving stuff a mess, whatever that feedback is that you got to give somebody is to sit back and say, hey, I'm noticing I'm seeing these things. Just don't come in with judgment. Don't tell, don't use names or labels like you're lazy, you're entitled, you're selfish, all right? You're a jerk, right? Just go and say, hey, I'm seeing these things. What's going on? You know, or um, we're noticing this, you know, like just even being able to have that courage to give your coach feedback on his impact or her impact on the on the team. Just, hey, coach, you know, I see notice when we lose a game, you come in there and you just bl- blast us, right? Like, and I feel like this is the effect it has on the team. What do you think? So just kind of, you know, I would say feedback. You got to give feedback. You got to receive feedback. You got to be an example in how you show up every day. And then you got to build relationships. Yeah, the feedback, I agree. The feedback part does take a lot of courage. I think I like what you said about not just, you know, if if you're not careful, right, on feedback, it can be, people can take it personal, right? It's already, like you said, it takes courage just to say something of an area that somebody needs to improve. But um, but to say, you know, not to be attacking or or, you know, using words that are like, uh, making people feel like they're failures or they're a loser, right? But giving them like constructive, not destructive criticism is definitely not only a gift, but it definitely can help. But if because if like you said, I I I've seen it um, in sports all the time. Like we can, I love I forget the quote, but we can put a man on the moon, but we still can't see the back of our necks, right? Mm-hmm. And so we all have got to have feedback if we're going to grow and stretch and improve and be the best version of ourselves we can as a teammate and as a leader. So, 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 so spot on. Yeah. It takes a lot of effort and, and work into that. I remember hearing a cool story about the South African rugby team, you know, and and they still had a lot of racial divisions from the apartheid era and players were really struggling to give each other feedback within the team. And they, they did this before their world cup win in 2019. They kind of leading up to that. They sat down two, three years out, and they created a template for each other to get feedback. And it was like, hey, hey, man, this is what I'm seeing. I could be wrong. I'm giving this feedback just because I care about you and I want us to be successful. They literally created a template for players to do that. Because And when people use that template, they knew, okay, 
yeah, he's doing this out of that. We've all agreed to this, right? We've accepted this is the way we give feedback here. Um, so the more you can normalize feedback and and do that in an effective way, the better. So that a uh, little change in topic here. How would you define team culture or culture within sport? How would you define that, JP? Yeah, when we look at culture, I mean, it's 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 how people show up, why people show up, and why they do things the way they do things. You know, so it's a lot about the behaviors and the mindset behind those behaviors. But within that, I think the best way to measure culture is relationships and standards. So I always do a graph, and on my x-axis, I put the relationships, the connections. So how connected are people here? How strongly are people connected to each other? Do people feel safe here? Do people feel known? Do they feel appreciated? And then on my y-axis, I put standards, the behaviors, how we do things here. Do we work hard? Do we have a good attitude? All those things. The reality is you can't have really high standards if you don't have strong connections, right? I think like if you don't aren't connected, you're not going to work that hard. If you're not connected, you're not going to show a lot of respect and vice versa. If you don't have strong relationships, then you're not going to be able to maintain those high st- you know, standards and, and vice versa. So um, if I care about you uh, as a teammate, well, I have to hold you accountable to high standards. We don't have a really great relationship or your coach doesn't really care about you if they don't hold you to a high standard. So um, that, so I have seen that. I'm, you said that a lot easier than I could uh, say it and seen it over the years. But I literally have seen teams where the relationships are so poor, uh, whether, and again, it could be a lack of trust. It could be very selfish behaviors, like you mentioned earlier about I'm not playing enough. I'm not, I'm not getting the ball enough. I'm not getting the accolades, whatever the reason is that causes the breach in trust in the relationship. And you cannot hold that team to a high standard. Uh, it becomes very siloed. Uh, a lot of, uh, I would say like silencing and like stonewalling. There's, there's no, the communication is, is very uh, intense, right? It's not proactive, it's reactive. And then you can see that same thing, that same thing that's happening uh, off the court, go right on court and just watch a talented team fall apart. It is crazy what you just said. Uh, I don't know if you got if you got the cure for that, but you would you'd be a rich man if you could find a cure. So it's good. Yeah. I mean, I think the the big thing with those those teams that are super disconnected is that you, you we can have a lot more impact than we think we can. You know, I always tell this to coaches that I work with, like if you got a really toxic individual in your culture, it can it'll just it'll 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 destroy everything. At the same time, if you've got a really good individual leader in the locker room, it can make your job so much easier. And so for athletes, I'd say the same thing, you know, like you you have so much impact. You can be that toxic influence or you can be that positive influence. A lot of times where I see athletes struggle is they're like, well, so-and-so is just killing our culture. And we just wait for that person to graduate or move on before we start to have good, good years and good times. There's this great study out there that was done uh, I think I forget which school it was done by, but it was years and years ago, and they've replicated it many times. It's called the Bad Apple Experiment, and they, they did this for like a hundred groups. And essentially, they had like a group of six people. There was this one guy who was planted; he's an actor. He'd just be a bad apple. He was really negative, and, and the performance of every group went down when the bad apple was there. Like you could see, like this one individual could kill the culture, except they found this one outlier experiment uh, group 
And there was this other individual who, who counteracted the bad apple. And that was that positive influence. And when that person would get negative, they'd just be like, come on, come on. You know, like they would just kind of brush it off. They, they would, they would do something to, you know, to counteract that negativity. And so no matter what your situation is, you know, even if you do have that really bad apple in the group, anybody, a coach, athlete can be the counterbalance to that and really try to neg- negate that and lift the group up. Um, so, you know, that's just a challenge to anybody that's part of a team. It's just, you know, are you the bad apple or are you the one in there that that's lifting up other people? I'll tell you what, um, that is, there's a, there's a quote and again, I don't remember who to give credit to, but it, you probably have heard it before, but it's called addition by subtraction, right? When you start talking mm-hmm. about team culture, I mean, I have, and I think I, I love what you said right there that that uh, uh, one individual, if you got a, a high level athlete or player, if they're a really good leader and they and they kind of build and enforce that culture and strengthen it, it'll make your job a lot, a lot easier. And I have the years that we have really struggled, we've lacked the leadership. The culture's been not as strong, and I call it like sideways energy. We've spent more time doing sideways, like working, talking to this pro- pro- problem with this person or this issue, and then we're not focusing on like the mission and, and the, the standards and objectives of the team. So I have literally seen to your point, JP, you get one, either they graduate or they, now you got the transfer portal, which is a whole nother topic. They end up leaving the team and we get addition by subtraction. And you think, man, I can't believe we've invested so much in this person. They left the team. And then you look back, you know, a year, months later and you go, man, we're better. Huh. I didn't realize we'd be that much better. And, and it's, I remember, this is probably 15 years ago, I remember one team I worked with, uh, we fought like crazy to get this one athlete, and he came, and and uh, for four years, we struggled with this guy to get him to buy in. And after he left, I mean, it was a long four years. We still were pretty successful, but not the level we could have been. And when he left, we actually found out there were athletes that would not come because that one athlete was on the team. So not only to your point, does it make your job harder to coach the athletes you currently have, but it's a small world in the, in the sports world. People know, like you just said, they know their behaviors. They know uh, if they're like, they're a me guy or a we guy and kind of what the experiences they've had with other, other athletes across the, the U S and globally. And they build that, that kind of, I guess, so to speak, a reputation for what kind of, you know, the person they are, and then that can kind of turn other people away. And so, man, it's crazy the the amount of impact that can have on a team. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's you know, for a lot of our job as coaches is to nurture, find, recruit those individuals. And and the amazing thing is everyone's got a choice, the choice that if they want to be that person or not. How about um, take some of that practicality now and apply it. Again, it's coming from your book I thought was so good was, you talk about a captain's council. I remember, you know, working with Coach Brown uh, all the years he was at Texas. He's now at North Carolina doing a great job. But he always had a council of guys. He had a – basically had, I think he called the MAC 8. There were eight people, coaches and administrators on this council that they would meet and talk about the team. But then the team also had a captain's council that they would kind of meet stuff and bring it to that council. Talk about – how would you practically um, 
counsel or give advice on how to, A, set up a captain's counsel, then how should that function? Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest mistakes coaches can do is just to pick the eight guys or girls that they feel like they think are leaders. And, and back to your point earlier, like, who are the influencers? Who do, who are people watching? And so getting the players to identify the influencers in a healthy way is really important. So we like to do uh, an activity where the team creates a job description that they carry on year to year. I mean, essentially, what do we need a leader this year? And come up with three qualities and the behaviors that align with those. And then they vote on that. The team votes on those three qualities, each of those like selfless, competitive, resilient. Who's the most, who are top eight or top five most selfless individuals? Who are top most you know, competitive? Who are top most accountable, right? Whatever those votes are. And then you pick it from there, you know? And, and, and so we have a kind of intricate system there to give the players a voice. And coaches can have some say at a person here or there, but the reality is, you know, we want, who do people look to? And then they're kind of the two big things. I mean, there's so many little intricate things that we do with this, but the two big things, there's a weekly meeting with that leadership council and the coach sits down and it's not the coach teaching about leadership. It's not them just sitting there reading a book or players talking about all the issues. It is sometimes we, we get to the point where the players run the meeting. Yeah. The captains run it. They get in there. They celebrate what's going well. They focus on something good or gratitude. And then they get into what are the issues? What issues have come up? And what are some solutions? And the players and the coaches are all part of solutions. Everyone is a part of involved of taking ownership. And so sometimes that, hey, a player's not happy on the playing time. The best person to talk to them is, is one of the captains, right? And that kind of leads me to my second piece, which is we, we create units. So if you got a football team, or, you know, you got a team like, and you got 50 people on it, you know, you might have eight people in that leadership council and you got five or six in a unit. And that leader is now in charge of looking after that unit. You know, a lot of times basketball team might have four, four people in leadership council, 16 players. So groups of four. And what are those units? Well, those units, you know, there are ways to, to break down clicks within a team. But also, it, it empowers that leader to look after those guys. So the, everybody in leadership council has a commitment to serve, a commitment to support, and a commitment to connect. So serving could be carrying the water. It could be sweeping the floor. It could be cleaning up the locker room. Like, you know, sweep the sheds is an old phrase from the New Zealand All Blacks, you know, where the captains, the leaders would actually lead the cleaning on their, you know, this is one of the greatest sports teams of all time. They actually lead the cleaning, right? So they're doing something to serve. They're doing something to connect the group. They're organizing team get-togethers. They're having lunches with the people. They're doing one-on-ones with everybody in their unit. Uh, and the, the third thing is to support. Well, so what does support look like? It looks different because, you know, one guy might struggle, struggle to show up on time. So I might be that guy that helps remind them. One guy might struggle with emotions and tough moments. Well, it's my job to get in there and help them, you know, calm down, refocus, reset himself, right? Like you, that that leader now has the ability to like get responsibility to support and hold guys accountable, have tough one-on-ones. So come back to that example, like a player struggle with playing time or trying to buy their role. Sometimes it's the the captain that can best speak in their life and not a, a coach or assistant coach. So those would be two of the big core elements of it with a lot of other little things that we've developed over the year. And here's the thing about it. People want to talk about leadership curriculums. They want to do stuff and classes and you know, read a book and all those things are good things. But the only thing that's been actually proven to develop leadership is actually leading real learning with mentorship, with coaching on it. So instead of us acting as the teacher and, uh, and we're teaching our guys about leaders, 
We're acting more like the Sherpa. We're acting more like the guide. Hey, we're giving you opportunities to lead, which means you have to make decisions. You got to hold people accountable. You got to do things like that. And then you as a coach are coming in and helping them learn from that experiences because they're not going to do a good job all the time. They're not going to hold guys accountable. Certain guys are going to struggle. They're going to be afraid, right? They're going to do, they're going to, their standards are going to slip. And, and so we come in there not to say, hey, you're doing a bit bad job. It's like, okay, what's going on? How are you doing on those commitments you've made? What could you do more? So here we are, we're kind of mentoring and guiding them. And that is all the research around leadership development. That, that is the only proven way, um, you know, by all the Ivy League schools out there that's been shown is experiential learning, not, you know, in the classroom type of approach. I love it. I think, you know, listen to that. I, I think that speaks, speaks directly into today. We have so much online curriculum and videos and content. But I, you know, my major, I had a crazy major in college. I was actually a, a drawing and painting major as art. And one of the things I know just from studying art, if you go back through the years in history, the way you learned art was like you were under somebody who was watching you and mentoring you and giving you advice and giving you that, like you said, that feedback. So you actually could become a good artist and not just read a book on it. And I, I forget where I read it too recently, like the percentage of, like you said, learning and change that you get from like just taking a, whether it's a course or reading a book is very, very small and minuscule compared to having that one-on-one. So that is so good with that piece. Uh, you kind of touched on this earlier. What about um, get into some practical things on, you, you mentioned this just a second ago, like you're not the main driver of the culture, but what are some ways you can, or strategies that somebody, like somebody on a team can influence a team culture in a good way, even though they're not kind of that person who dictates culture? How would you do that? Recommend that? Yeah, I, I think I'd go back to those main three things I mentioned earlier around, you know, build relationships with other people, be the example, and create feedback loops. But I would double click right now on being the example. And I think this is where a lot of people struggle, which is it's very hard to change. It's very hard to grow our character. And we have to have a real commitment to that. Um, I think we rely too much on just habits and we try to operate and we just say, oh, I'll try harder next time. And so Everybody to, to to be the example. First off, can we show up as our best self in that moment? And that means we got to do things that keep us centered. So, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but like, did you get enough sleep? Did you eat well? You know, are you watching how much time you're spending on social media uh, and on your phone? Like, are you spending time with people you care about? Like, you know, those type of quality relationships. So what do you need to do to be centered? You know, mindfulness practices, you know, those that type of self-care stuff is really important. So because if you don't do that stuff, then you then you have the capacity to show up as a this joyful, you know, very calm person when adversity strikes, you become that that guy or that girl that keeps everybody calm in in the storm. But if you don't do those things and you show up and you don't have that capacity, your window of tolerance because of stress and life just builds up, builds up. The, the other aspect is not just self-care, but it's self-improvement, personal growth. And so are you reading? Are you learning? Are you finding people to mentor you? 
so that you can make the most of your experiences. Whether you're the leader, the head coach, or you're at the bottom of that roster, you all have an experience right in front of you. You have stress, you have challenges, and and those present opportunities for us to grow. And I think that's probably one of my biggest regrets in life is I went through periods of as an athlete and then as a coach where I was so caught up in like as an athlete, like how do I get a better jump shot? And how do I, you know, and so I'd be spending hours and hours shooting the gym, you know, a thousand shots every day when I was playing basketball in South Carolina. And then as a coach, I'd be so caught up in the X's and O's, the tactical and technical. And the reality is like getting all those shots up didn't matter if I didn't, if I wasn't well rested, if my mind wasn't right, if I wasn't doing like if I was a strip, you know, this big ball of stress because I wasn't doing work on myself. And my impact on my team could have been better than shooting 44% from the three-point line that year. It could have been, you know, being a really effective leader. Instead, I was just an average leader. Same as a coach. I got so caught up in the X's and O's. And yet my team would never be able to execute because our culture stunk, you know, like we didn't have feel connected. So we have all these plays that require players to share the basketball, but nobody shares the basketball because nobody cares about each other. So who cares if you got a great scout and spend five hours staying up all night to do that? You show up, you're exhausted, you're you're short-tempered, and your team doesn't even want to pass the ball because they're all caring about themselves. So forget about the scout, you know, or the plan, game plan you put together. That won't be effective. So it comes back to working, making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and we're improving ourselves. And do that, then we're gonna walk in, we're gonna be able to be a better example. We're going to be able to be more effective at building relationships and we're going to be, you know, get, getting better at giving that, that, that feedback to each other. Yeah. I, I know you're a big John Wooden fan as well. I know I am um, love his, some of his books and quotes, but you made me think of that quote of his. It's, I think it goes something like that. The greatest uh, influence a leader has is their own personal example. And you, I mean, that could be the foundation because, I think part of, I know, just working with different leaders in different sports through the years, it's oftentimes it's not what they do on court or on field that sets them apart as a leader or it holds them back. It's what they do off court when nobody's looking, right? And that comes back to, <clears throat> that comes back to character, right? One of my, one of my favorite definitions of character, I think is by Oz Guinness, but it says, you know, character is who you are when no one is watching. And I cannot tell you, I know you've seen it. It's what athletes are doing when they're out with their buddies or their friends uh, out on a weekend. What they do there impacts and influences the level of influence and character they have and leadership they have in the team culture uh, for that team. So it's good stuff. Uh, Talking a little bit now about just pulling from your book a little bit again here. um, How do you enforce culture? Like, okay, you got your leaders, you got your council, you kind of established it, you got your mission values. But man, some years, man, culture's great. We're winning. And all of a sudden you get, like you said earlier, you get one or two bad apples in there. How do you enforce that team culture, JP? Yeah, you know, it's not a silver bullet, right? There is no one thing because culture is very complex. People are complex. And so sometimes people want to have this one approach, this one size fits all. That's why we talk about a culture system, and and I my present a framework for a lot of coaches on this, is because there's many different ways that we should be enforcing the culture. Um, transactional leaders are demeaning; they use a lot of fear, um, 
all to to oftentimes enforce standards. Transformational coaches, they're demanding. They're very tough, very hard. John Wooden was incredibly demanding. You mentioned John Wooden. And a lot of the great coaches, the Greg Popovich is like these type of guys that, you know, they love their guys, but they're also tough. Now, the thing with the the enforcement aspect is when we're demanding, we cannot be relying on fear-based tactics. I got a thing for coaches, no blaming, no shaming, no blaming, no shaming, right? And really, we don't want to be yelling at people. And a lot of times, coaches rely on those types of blaming the athletes, shaming the athletes, just yelling at them, getting them in them to get them to work hard. That, that old school approach, it might be effective in the short term. But if you want your athlete, I mean, at the end of the day, we want athletes to show up, work hard, have a good attitude because it's who they want to be. Because they know if they work hard, they're going to achieve their goals. They're going to achieve the team's goals. We don't want people that work hard and show up and have a good attitude because we said so or because if they don't, we're going to rip them. So when it comes to enforcing standards, we got to stop all that stuff, right? I know like one of those, you know, no PCD, no blame, complain, defend is a lot of things that coaches tell their athletes today. Well, do we do that? You know, do we blame athletes? Do we sit around and complain about our athletes? Do we defend our actions constantly? And too often we do. What we know about the brain is that for optimum performance, we need to maintain connection. And often this, the, the, this, the sporting environment is very stressful. There's a lot of pressure. So in stressful, high pressure in, in moments, it does not, where the athlete is all already becoming dysregulated emotionally, it does not help for us to come in there and blow up on them. It just adds further, further to that dysregulation. A dysregulated individual will never regulate another person. So whether you're an athlete or a coach, like blowing up on someone that's already shutting down or already struggling, that doesn't help. It doesn't help. Definitely in the long term. So when we talk about enforcing standards, a few things. One is catch them doing good things. You got to celebrate the things you want to see. That's the first one. That's an obvious one. The second one, though, is you got to have conversations around the consequences. Like if we don't work hard, we don't have a good attitude, what is the consequences of that? three months from now. Well, we're not going to be winning championships, right? That's for sure. But like today, like, so sometimes just like when your team goes through a drill, they don't work hard or you go through a, you know, a bad practice, instead of ripping them, just pull everybody in. Which, you know, you're an athlete or a coach, you say, guys, like, how do we feel about our effort today? Do we feel good about that? No, no, no. Okay. So what are we going to do tomorrow? How, what can we do differently? Or what can we do differently next drill? So just talking about how like, that's not who we want to be. It doesn't feel good. The second one is using logical consequences. And there's kind of two types of logical consequences I kind of propose. One is progressive consequences. And John Wooden was famous for using this. We got a lot of other coaches that use this. But we enforce standards by saying, hey, I'm not going to yell, scream at you. I'm not going to give you false praise. I'm not, I'm going to be real with you, right? When you're not meeting the standard, when you're not going hard, there's going to be a consequence, you know, and, and eventually that's going to be you, lo you lost the opportunity to get better. Right, because practice is a privilege. Playing the game, being a part of this team is a privilege. So, athlete doesn't work hard. You say, "Hey, right, do the drill again." They keep, you know, they don't address their effort. You might say, "Hey, right, you know what? You step out of this drill, and as soon as you're ready to start working hard, you can come back in." Athlete still doesn't correct themselves. The next progression might be, "You know what? I don't think you're feeling it today. We'll see you tomorrow." And we we do the same thing in games. So these these progressive logical consequences are a loss of privilege. 
There are lots, you might give an opportunity to fix their behavior, but eventually we, they lose that privilege. And what does this do is so profound because it teaches our athletes and it, it, it reminds us that we should be grateful for the opportunity. We get to come in here and practice, practice the privilege. But when we yell and scream, then they come in there and they have, it's a got to, right? It becomes this fear-based thing that they have to show up at. So we can do that no matter what the environment, you know, it's, it's such a profound, profound way to enforce the standard uh, is, is to say, hey, what can you do to fix the situation? If you're not going to fix it, then you, you lost the privilege, the opportunity to get better. And uh, those are some of our more popular ways. There's a few other ways that we do enforce the culture as well. Uh, eventually, sometimes you got to remove people from the team and stuff like that. But you don't want to get to those stages if you haven't done these other things that have been proven to be effective in right. education and sports. You know what I mean? Yeah, you. Uh, one of the best coaches I've seen, he's retired, been retired for a while, but uh, Bill McCartney, my first job at Colorado, I was a young coach uh, coming out of college, and they had they had a couple guys on the football team that they had done some you know had some behaviors that were were not their standard, um, and he didn't yell at them, he didn't curse them out, he took away their privileges, uh, took some playing time, um, which is I think. I think it's harder for coaches to do that day for whatever reason. I think with the, the transfer portal, kids can just leave. You know, if you if you offend a kid or don't give them exactly what they want, they kind of try to hang that over your head today. You know, that's kind of the reality of the landscape. And so I think um, watching a coach like Bill McCartney enforce and not be afraid to keep kids back from playing. If you go, again, the, the, the game is the miracle in Michigan in 1994. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, where Cordell Stewart throws his huge bomb. There are some kids that didn't make that that game because he was holding them out because of something they had done in the offseason. And you know what? Those situations not only set, sets an example, like this is our team culture, we're going to enforce it, but it makes the team stronger in the end. And you may sacrifice some losses on that, but I think I agree with you. I think if you can make those those tough decisions and athletes lose privileges, you're not going off on them, that it's going to change the culture in a positive way and get them back on track. But man, that takes a lot of a lot of gumption today, I feel like, for a lot of coaches. A lot of courage, a lot of conviction. And, and, and a lot of coaches push back and say, well, JP, you can't do that. That's giving them what they want. They're not working hard. And, and to my, my answer to that is, well, coach, first off, how's the way you're currently doing things working for you? What's it costing you to constantly be berating your players, getting on your players, yelling at your players? What's it costing you to always have to be put them on the line? I mean, it's costing you time for one thing, right? It's costing you energy. You know, you're just constantly coaching with the stick. It's just, it's just not effective. One of my favorite coaches out there is Eric Lang, American International, took them from the worst Division I hockey program into one of the better ones in the country. And early on, he made some tough decisions. You know, he, he sat players out. He'd left players behind because they didn't make the bus on time. That was the policy. That was the rule. But you know what? It cost him a lot. He got crushed by, I think, Maine or somebody early on in his first year there. They don't have problems anymore with people showing up late. You know, it cost him a lot in that moment. But the benefit down the road was exponential. Exponential. Because they knew what he said was serious. But so often, me as a coach, I'd come in there and lay in guys that we value hard work. You're not working hard. We get on them, make them run. And then that guy still be playing on Friday night. He'd still be playing. The guy that didn't listen, didn't work hard in the drills, 
Now, what am I reinforcing? I'm reinforcing that math, hard work isn't that important. It's actually talent. Talent. Good. Go. <clears throat> Maybe one tough question for you here, then we'll wrap up here in a second. But I've unfortunately had the pleasure of being through a season like this where, man, what would you say to somebody like they're all, they're they're working with a team <clears throat> and man, it's just not going well. The the culture is very toxic. Um, no matter what you do, it's not getting better. Like what, how do you manage and navigate? You still got this season in front of you. Um, again, I've been through a season like that, unfortunately with a team, not recently, but in my, my 29 years, I've definitely had to deal with that. I've also seen, um, even more recent we've had, I know we've had some of our other staff that, that the team culture needs to be addressed. So what would you tell somebody ships going down? Like, what do you do now? You know, you just throw up your hands and give up, don't care. I don't think that's a good response. What do you, what would you say? Well, I think well, one thing is we got to accept our limit of our control. Just like you could put together the perfect game plan. You go out there, a couple bobbles, shots don't fall, kicks go awry, player gets injured, your season goes down the drain there, right? Like it just in like results when it comes to the scoreboard. It's the same with culture. There's a lot of things outside of an individual's control, but what can you control? Right. So all the things we've talked about earlier today, right? You're trying to do all these little things that you can within your control. That's why I talk about a systematic approach, not just doing one team meeting to begin the year or one intervention or one come to Jesus meeting. It's all these different approaches. You're constantly approaching it. Okay. But I would say if if if, if the ship is struggling, right? Is how do we hit that reset? How do we hit that reset button? I I could talk about this for hours, but I'll tell you this one thing. You work with the people in the organization to reset. You don't hit the reset. And the easiest way to do this is, is one of my favorite stories and sharing the book is Captain Mike Abershoff. He was captain of the USS Benfold, which was the worst ship in the US Navy, I think back in 1999. And then a year later, it was voted the best ship in the US Navy. How did he do this? He sat down with 310 sailors and he said, what do you enjoy about work, working on this ship? What don't you enjoy? And if you were the captain, what's one thing you would change? And he took the suggestions of these 310 sailors and he implemented them. That's it. He didn't come up with great ideas. He heard that the onboarding program was really, really bad. By their suggestions, they fixed it. He heard that there wasn't a lot of fun. The food in the cafeteria was horrible. They fixed it, right? They did all these things that they implemented, but it was on the suggestions of the people there. Mm. Reality is everyone wants a great team. Everyone wants a great experience. Everyone wants to be successful. And oftentimes the people right in it, they're the ones that see the problems and know how to solve it. And so by looking and empowering the people around us, I would sit down with people and say, hey, we're on the right path here. Let's have some honest, hard conversation. What's working? What's not? What can we change? And if you start to implement the people's suggestions, there are going to be good suggestions a lot of the time, and they're going to be bought into them because they came from the people in the team. That's so powerful. I think I've read that book, and that book is profound. Um, I love that. I've never... I kind of thought of it, but that you do like need a collective reset of you need people to be on board with you. Again, that's probably why it's the season's struggling because not everybody's on board. But if you can get, I think it was Tommy Lasorda, he talked about like you were when he was the the manager of the Dodgers, he was talking about like his his kind of philosophy always was like he's gonna find the, the best seven or eight players and he's gonna work with them to really set the culture and kind of weed out some of the bad apples. And that was kind of his philosophy and kind of 
got those guys rallied and they helped him. So it definitely takes takes a group effort and some some unity there. So that's good stuff. Um, last question for you today: What are you currently working on? Can you are you? I know you got a new book coming out. What else is going on, JP? Tell us what's happening. Yeah, um, I'm just continuing to grow as a as a leadership coach, and so I you know recently just got certified through Georgetown University, you know, uh, through the ICF. So uh, just continuing to grow that that aspect of how I serve and be better at that, as well as fa- getting my facilitator license. So just a professional facilitator of workshops and and retreats. Um, so I love, love doing that with the coaches and the leaders that I support in their businesses, um, to kind of go in there and, and, and get on the ground floor and, and, and do some work with the teams. And then I got my new book coming out, the sports parent solution. And it's kind of a sequel to my book, the culture system, but like, you don't have to have read the culture system. It'll be coming out middle of November. And it's all about just very practical ways that coaches can start to partner with parents because right now we just create walls and we've got coaches at the youth level, the high school level and collegiate level. We've got some great stories about college division one coaches uh, that are doing events that involve the parents that bring them in to the team experience. And so by bringing them into the team experience, by the coaches creating connections with, with the, the parents, you, you know, the parents are more bought into the team. They're more willing to support the team culture and they're able to support the coach in challenging and working with that athlete, their, their son or their daughter. And so uh, it's kind of twofold. It's to support the team. We want the parents behind the team, but we also want to work with the parents and partner with them to better support each individual athlete. And so we've got a lot of very practical things in that book that uh, people will love. Yeah, that's that. I, when you uh, originally told me about this book, I was like, oh, my God, where has JP been? Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a daughter. I mean, I have four daughters. I'm a dad of four daughters. And we've been in club sports. We've been in high school sports, yada, yada, yada. And it's like the part I've seen today more than ever is like the parenting piece. Even in the college system, I've seen different styles where head coaches cut off the parent. And now the kids telling the parents a different story than actually what's happening and there's no partnering. But what I have seen, like you just said, that the, you don't have to give them all the information, but there's got to be a partnering between the coaches and the parents and getting them engaged and to be kind of a co-labor with your, your kid. Uh, again, not allowing them to make decisions, obviously, but there's got to be some kind of connection there that shows that you actually care about the individual, the kid you're working with. So I'm excited for that book to come out. Can't wait to we may have to do a second episode on that down the road at some point. Um, where can people, they want to connect with you? Like, tell us a little bit more. Uh, I know you got a podcast you do. What's the name of your podcast, JP? The Coaching Culture Podcast. So that's one way you can, if you want to listen to JP and uh, some of the topics and what he is, uh, yes, he, he has on that show. That'd be great. What else do you have, Coach? Uh, yeah, you can go to my website, tocculture.com. We've got articles there. We got links to all the podcasts. We've got some online courses around playing time, our competitive cauldron, and the whole culture system framework that you can be trained up on there. You want to learn more about our captain's council, leadership council, how to do that. So we got all those things there uh, on the website, um, as well as you can learn more about our community uh, of coaches that 
get access to resources. We have a, a yearly retreat for all our community members. That's free for anybody in the community. Um, that's a really cool experience. Uh, so we got a lot of different things uh, within that. And then uh, I'm occasionally on Twitter at JP Nurbin, N-E-R-B-U-N. What's the quickest way? Somebody wants you right now. What would they do to hit you? JP Nurbin, N-E-R-B-U-N at T-O-C-Culture.com. That's my email. There it is. So uh, incredible. I got one last selfish question. Top best leadership book recommendation. Besides, I know Culture System is number one, but like what would be your next for for me, I'm just kind of it's kind of a personal thing. I love leadership, so absolutely the top of my list, and you'll never have heard of it. I promise you, it's called Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps, and it's by a woman named Jennifer Garvey Berger. It is the best leadership book on the market today. You are correct. I have, I feel like I have failed. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I will be purchasing that very soon, JP. So, well. Uh, Coach, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate. I know you are a very busy man with your your business and your beautiful family uh, over in Ireland. So thank you for getting up early. I think well, what time? It does that early there. Is it what time is there? No, it's in the afternoon. So you're yeah. up early. I'm me. up early. <laughs> but hey, uh, JP, thank you so much. You are a gift. You've been a great mentor and coach to me. And I know that if anybody's interested, please reach out, connect with him, follow him, check him out. You will not be disappointed. And again, thank you so much, JP. Yeah, super grateful for the opportunity. Well, hey, that's it from the team behind the team here in Austin, Texas. And we will catch you on the flip side. Hook them horns. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.